You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. What is the role of thiazolidinediones, or TZDs, in the prevention and treatment of type 2 diabetes. Joining us to discuss TZDs in pre-diabetes and early type 2 diabetes is Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism at the University of Vermont College of Medicine in Burlington, Vermont, Dr. Jack Leahy. Dr. Leahy, welcome to ReachMD. Uh, Steve, it's a pleasure. Well, Jack, we have a lot to cover. And briefly, tell our listeners a little bit about the history of TZDs, kind of uh, the first one approved and... And, and what time frame and what were their promises back then? So the first drug we got was called troglitazone, and I'm sure you remember that. Its trade name was Resulin. It was a drug we had for a couple of years, and I think most people viewed it as a reasonably powerful drug at improving blood glucose values. And in fact, it was originally said to us to be a drug to help people come off insulin, and certainly there were a group of people who were able to transition off insulin and go on to this oral medication. But things changed and changed pretty dramatically uh, two or three years after we got that drug because the first reports came out about liver damage with that drug. It was actually very high profile, pulled away from a federal study called the Diabetes Prevention Program, so was taken out of that study, uh, and then that drug eventually came off the market. So the two subsequent drugs that we have in that class pioglitazone and rosiglitazone came to us probably five or six years ago and have continued to be used and advertised as insulin sensitizers and believed by some practitioners to be extremely powerful in that regard. Can you summarize uh, the clinical benefits of TZDs, uh, at least pio and rosy or avandia and actos, uh, you know, at least from your perspective? Okay. As we look at these drugs, the pioglitazone or rosiglitazone, the clinical benefits are to um, improve blood glucose values, to lower insulin levels theoretically because of improved insulin sensitivity. Uh, it was believed for a long period of time that one or both of these drugs would have cardiovascular protection uh, attached to that. And pioglitazone in particular had some lipid benefits. And so when you looked at these drugs, they, they really had effects against sort of the whole panoply of effects that we were uh, listing related to insulin resistance. Now, of course, there are some problems, and I think we're well aware of those problems. In summary, Jack, we've been disappointed as caregivers that we have not seen any benefit of cardiovascular reduction other than the proactive study. To test the concept as to whether one of these drugs or this class in general would have cardiovascular protection. And you're well aware of the fact that we went through four or five years of studies that looked at sort of surrogate markers, CRP and PI-1 levels and lipid levels in terms of cardiovascular protection. There were some small studies looking at intimomedial thickness or uh, restenosis after stents suggesting that they were improved by, uh, by these drugs. And so everyone was really waiting for the definitive study to give patients who either had known coronary disease or high-risk coronary disease, give them one of these drugs and show that there was uh, better cardiovascular protection than not using these drugs. So the proactive study did that. The European study, over 5,000 people who had known cardiac disease, they were given pioglitazone, added to their usual therapy, 
And then what came out of that was confusion more than actually giving definitive answers to what happened. There ended up being a small cardiovascular protection somewhere in the range of about 15% in these individuals, but it was on a secondary outcome as opposed to a primary outcome, maybe bad design of the study in that regard from the beginning, and the field more argued over actually the benefits of this drug than actually accepted there was cardiovascular protection related to pioglitazone, and that really lingered for a number of years. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with Dr. Jack Leahy. We're discussing insulin sensitizers or thiazolidine dions in prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. Well, Jack, let's get into the controversial area. A couple years ago, Steve Nissen, a cardiologist from the Cleveland Clinic, published a meta-analysis on the cover of the New England Journal of Medicine that just threw uh, the TZD world upside down, especially for rosiglitazone, but with some fallout effect with PIO. Uh, Describe to our listeners what that was in brief, and what do you think about it? So Steve Nissen took the available data that he had, looked at a variety of studies that had tried to look at cardiovascular outcomes uh, related to rosiglitazone and reported that there was not, in fact, cardiac benefit related to that drug, but just the opposite. He reported that there was a 40% higher incidence of myocardial infarction in people who used rosiglitazone versus other therapies, and also reported there was also increased cardiac death. And actually, that last part is very important. So not only did you have an MI, but you potentially died from it. That so surprised everybody that over the next year or so, there were at least three or four other meta-analyses that were done by other investigators, more or less supporting the result of of increased uh, rate of myocardial infarction, not supporting the issue related to cardiac death. And I think the Nissen report is probably the, the only major one that supported the death increase. But there was a lot of data supporting that there appeared to be a higher rate of myocardial infarction with that drug. When I looked at the large randomized prospective studies, you know, like the ADOPT trial, the DREAM trial, uh, the RECORD trial, that data was not substantiated that uh, Steve Nissen showed in the meta-analysis. Well, it's a problem because a meta-analysis is one form of science where essentially you're obligated to take any study that someone's published that meets your predefined criteria and then mix and match everything together to try and come up with an average result. So you're really at the mercy of how other investigators did their studies and reported their studies and what patient population they chose to, to treat. And in and by definition, it's really a, rec- a retrospective analysis of data. And I think it's exactly correct that as people have tried to do prospective studies, and probably the RECORD study is the most recent one, you don't see this increased rate of uh, myocardial infarction um, with rosiglitazone. So whether it's there or not really remains an open question, I think. And uh, where do TZDs fit in our clinical approach to patients? They are a class of drugs which come with, uh, you know, warnings about about how do we use them. And so in terms of the clinical question, where do they fit, my feeling is they remain um, useful drugs in many of our patients, but there are so many other drugs available that they're probably not of the same uh, power that they used to be in terms of being a second-line or a third-line therapy in every patient who's failing uh, one or two drugs prior to that. They do lower glucose. They don't cause hypoglycemia. 
the earlier we use them, the better off they'll be. Well, let's tell our listeners briefly about the DREAM and the ACT NOW study. Yeah, so the DREAM study was a, a very large study. In fact, it had more than one outcome. It was comparing the use of an ACE inhibitor, Ramipril, or using a TZD, rosiglitazone, in patients who had prediabetes, and, and it was using one or both of those drugs. It was really a two-by-two two factorial study that's a little complicated in terms of uh, trying to analyze it. But the bottom line was the question was, does an ACE inhibitor or does this TZD essentially slow or stop the progression of prediabetes to type 2 diabetes? And I would say in that trial, the results with the uh, the rosiglitazone were very modest, were not overly powerful uh, in terms of the protection. And so ramipril didn't do much, the rosiglitazone did do some, and so the bottom line was the, tri the trial is looked at as positive but a little bit spotted because it didn't have a globally uh, uh, standard answer in terms of everything worked. The, the trial that I like and no one ever talks about is the diabetes prevention program, the DPP. Because if you look at the DPP, the major part of that study got published in the New England Journal, was very high profile, and the take-home message was in patients with impaired glucose tolerance, if you use lifestyle modification, very powerful at prevention of type 2 diabetes. If you use metformin, a little bit less powerful, but it was positive. What people forget is there was actually another drug, that drug we talked about, troglitazone, that was initially put in and had to be pulled. There's a subsequent publication. It, put, it was put in diabetes, not quite as high profile a journal, but it turns out in the people who used the troglitazone on average only nine months, but it was by far the most powerful in terms of uh, reducing the incidence of type 2 diabetes, even more powerful than lifestyle. Now, the problem there is it's a short trial, but now we go to act now. ACT-NOW is this trial that's been done out of uh, Texas. Again, it's taking patients with impaired glucose tolerance. It's putting them either on pioglitazone or um, essentially lifestyle modification. And, and it's incredible. There's uh, about an 80% reduction in the progression to type 2 diabetes in the patients who got the TZD. It's not a huge study. Uh, there are st it's not fully published yet, but I, I think that really fits with all these other trials to support that when TZDs are used early in the course of the disease, there's really something special about those drugs. They seem very powerful. And then you talk about the tripod study, the pipod study, studies from California, from Tom Buchanan in women who had had gestational diabetes. And whether you use uh, either of the drugs, troglitazone or pioglitazone, there was, again, a very, very substantial reduction in progression now of women who had gestational diabetes going back to type 2 diabetes. So again, there's something about these drugs that make them look really good in patients who are either uh, prediabetes or very early type 2 diabetes. And I think when you use these drugs early in the natural history, you end up with less side effects as well. And and it's probably based on their mechanism. The use of TZDs, we've learned something about the pathogenesis of diabetes, but I think we have a lot more to learn. I think one of the things we've learned as investigators is that there's just incredible crosstalk between all the pathogenesis that's going on with this disease, and it turns out that the insulin resistance is driving beta cells to try and compensate. And when you actually look, doing careful clinical studies in patients with these prediabetes trials who are getting uh, the TZDs, in fact, the dominant clinical benefit one seems to see is beta cell protection. And, and you're not getting diabetes because you don't get the beta cell failure. So, so how could you give an insulin sensitizer and have this effect on trying to protect beta cells? And there's a lot of uh, thought process that's gone into that. Some investigators, certainly Tom Buchanan is a huge advocate of this, and I think I am, is something called 
called unloading beta cells, that essentially you're pushing beta cells as hard as you possibly can to compensate for insulin resistance. You give a sensitizer, you lower the workload, and that actually helps to protect the beta cells against subsequent failure. And I think, as you know, my research over the last couple of years has looked at the signaling pathway, which TZDs activate, which is PPAR gamma, and looked at that signaling pathway in beta cells. And I think we've never thought about those drugs as having direct beta cell effects, but at least in animals and cell culture systems, we can show they really do. So, so my guess is when all this is over and done with, we're going to learn that the signaling pathway is important in multiple tissues besides just insulin sensing tissues. And also we're going to learn that you can interact on this whole cycle of diabetes, this sort of detrimental cycle, a problem with the liver, a problem with the brain, a problem with insulin sensing, a problem with the beta cell, that you can, you can almost interject at any of those areas and break this vicious cycle and have an important protective or therapeutic effect for type 2 diabetes. I would like to thank our guest, Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes and Metabolism at the University of Vermont College of Medicine in Burlington, Vermont, Dr. Jack Leahy. Dr. Leahy, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.